0: Welcome to the SOAR Community Network Podcast with your host, Malie Ponpadit. Here, inside our community, we help each other see, own, articulate, and release our unique message and mission into the world. Uncover your gifts and talents, release your passions, own your purpose, and let's SOAR together. Hello, everyone. And welcome to another episode of the SOAR Community Network Podcast. I am Mali Pompadid, your host, and I'm here today with Myron Radio. Myron is a four-time author and the president of the R Group, which is a consortium of seasoned professionals who believe in the power of people and teamwork to drive results. I'm so delighted and honored that you're with me this morning. Myron, thank you so much. Thank you, Molly. Myron, you have uh, been working as an executive coach, team building, facilitating powerful presentations to thought leaders around the globe, working with organizations in the Fortune 500 uh, companies realm and numerous industries, Uh, but before you got to become this executive coach, I'd love to go back in time and history and learn of your personal journey and how you even Got
1: here to be a thought leader yourself. Well, okay, Molly, good.
0: Yeah, where did the journey begin for you?
1: Well, you know, <laughs> I'm a poor little Ukrainian kid, and I've always just tried to make a buck. And so, <laughs> for for me, the journey goes, you know, all the way back to my childhood with, um, and and even before, with all four of my grandparents coming over to this country about a hundred years ago from the Ukraine. And what I realized is that when they came to this country, they had very little knowledge of English, if any at all. They had very little money. They did have a relative here who sponsored them into the country and helped them find a place to, to, to live and actually arrange marriages back at that time. And what I realized is that they couldn't stay where they were in the ukraine they would have been killed if they would have stayed there 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 were it was just a very bad time and you know like the time that a lot of refugees are are facing today they came to this country though leaving everything behind so any money that they had any possessions that they had any positions that they held one of my grandfathers was um A mayor of a town over there in the Ukraine, and and he came to this country and became uh, a common day laborer, Mm -hmm. and what was very interesting to me as I thought about all of this is I have a legacy of working with change and transitions, of going from wherever we are to wherever we know we need to be for some reason. Something drives us there, and... If we follow that drive and that purpose and that mission that we have, even though it may not be clear to us, roadways appear before us and, and it's almost like we're swept up and we're moving forward. And so that was that was my background as a kid. I, I was loved by uh, all of my relatives, not only my mom and dad, but um, on. One side of the family, there were 12 kids, and on the other side, there were seven, and my uncles and my aunts and the people that they married, and I was always made to feel special. I, I, I guess I felt that way all the time, but I also knew that my life was guided, that um, oftentimes, it was almost like an out-of-body experience when, uh, with things that I've said and places that I've gone and and people that I've met. And yet, as I look back now, I see that all of those things had a purpose and a meaning and were meant to guide me along this journey. And so where I'm at right now is an executive coach. Um, you know, I had worked as an executive with with Exxon Mobil, the mobile part. So that makes me unique. I'm an executive coach who was actually an executive. And you know, while there are quite a few of those, there are many people who call themselves executive coaches that, you know, they have the the conceptual framework, but not the practical application piece. And so I I, I was that, I did that for a number of years with, with ExxonMobil, as I said. I left, I started a practice of my own and own. And now I work with practitioners like yourself and other people in the SOAR network to really help organizations move forward. Um, Not only the organizations, but the people within those organizations. And so for me, it's all about this strong sense of teamwork, of belonging, of wanting to accomplish things together that goes all the way back in my legacy to my grandparents.
0: I love, I love that you went all the way back there, and of course, I kind of forced it. When I say, where did it all begin, it began even before you came here. Um, before we get into your executive coach and how, what was the catalytic moment when you pivoted and wanted to go out on your own and do this, um, I want to go back there and ask you a question about just generational legacy and, you know what your belief system is or your, your insights are when it comes to inheriting beliefs or or having your grandfather and great-grandfathers kind of in many ways dictate, not necessarily dictate, but um, nurture you into the person that you eventually become. How, how important is that in your mind? How relevant is that? I mean, is it something that you just consciously make a decision of or... From generations, even before you arrived here on Earth, did some of those things already impart themselves into your destiny? What do you think about that?
1: You know, Molly, for me, it's a little bit of both. And and let me explain what I mean by that. I believe that at our core, we hold an identity of who we really are. And at that core, that identity tells us what we can do and what we can't do. In other words, what am I, what are my empowering beliefs about myself and what are the kind of things that I believe hold me back in, in life or in work? And, but it all comes back to that identity. And so one of the things that I learned from my relatives is that hard work always pays off. That was a core belief of theirs, that if you work hard, you will be direct, directed. And if you can work in groups of teams of people, you're going to expand your power exponentially. And it's not only about what you're, you'll are you be able to do, but also what you'll be able to create in terms of new business objectives and accomplishing tasks that no one else has ever accomplished before. Be, because you're leveraging the power of people to be able to to get to that next level. So so that's been very important to me. And what happens in that process, so if you can think about a, a clock, the face of the clock, at 12 o'clock, I see beliefs. So what do you believe about yourself? What do you believe you can do and you can't do? And then at three o'clock on that clock, I see thinking. Because see, your beliefs help you shape how you're thinking about Anything, how you're thinking about people, how you're thinking about a challenge that you have, something personal you're facing. I mean, your beliefs shape your your thinking. At the six o'clock point, I see actions, because how you think about things will cause you to take actions that you'll either do naturally or you won't do naturally. You're going to have to make a conscious choice. But those actions are the kind of things that allow you to drive either toward one thing or away from another. And then at the nine o'clock position on the clock, it's the results that you're going to get. So if you think about it, let me just retrace the clock. At 12 o'clock, you have beliefs. At three o'clock, you have thinking. At six o'clock, you have actions, which lead to, at nine o'clock, results. I'm not saying the results are good or bad, but what's interesting about it is that those results then help shape or reaffirm your beliefs. And so it's this huge cycle. And I saw it with all of my relatives who came to this country. I saw it with my parents as they struggled through life and had to change how they thought about things to be able to get to the next level. I definitely saw it in all of my work with mobile oil as part of teams of people who were shaping the way we did business. And more importantly, that simple clock and the way I described it is what I have to do every day when I'm working with organizations, um, either as an individual, as an executive coach, or in putting together presentations to help people change how they think about things so that they then can take actions to get different results if I'm talking to a group of people. And then finally, if I'm working with a team of people that are trying to achieve something that either other people believe is impossible or they themselves may not even know how to need to be guided through a process. That's the same fundamental clock that we have to put over everything to be able to get the result that people want. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that that helps understand what's what's at the core of my belief and at the core of my, all of my teachings
0: that's great it reminds me of you know the adults we become based on what we saw and experience as young children and our community our family our parents our grandparents they all uh, their actions and their decisions all shape how we make decisions and our actions as well uh, sometimes good sometimes not so great but just being mindful of that and being grateful for all the teachings that come along. Um, And I think that's what makes you such a great leader is, you know, you really believe in teaching and sharing and community. Um, So my next question would be, you know, were there any specific transformational moments in your life or in your work that kind of determined or helped you determine what it was that you were going to do um, to support others for the rest of your lives, like moving from this executive, which you were very successful, highly successful, traveled all over uh, the world, helping so many brilliant minds. And at the same time, what was it like for you to say, okay, what's really my work to do in the world? How did that, yeah. how did that unfold?
1: Yes. Beautiful. Well, you know, for me, I've been working since I've ten, I'm have i 10 years old and you know work is a four letter word to some people but for me work is a three letter word it's j-o-y because I have joy in the work that I'm doing and I actually love what I'm doing I mean it's fun for me it energizes me it wires me it's um it's almost food for my soul and my spirit um so working since 10 years old at 14 I was working at a peat moss packing plant and I had to manage people who were in their 20s and 30s but they gave that to me at at the age of 14 I don't know why but so naturally I I felt this inclination to lead so fast forward to when I was working with mobile I was there for 28 years and in 28 years I had 22 different jobs and so it's not that I couldn't hold the job, but I would move into a job um, and the obstacles seemed at the time to be insurmountable. And somehow I'd figure it out or I'd get other people to help me figure it out. And I started moving up the chain and uh, p- really getting some results that uh, that were eye-catching for other people. I didn't know the difference. I was just doing my job. I, I didn't know that these things were good or bad or Whatever I just wanted to get get the work done. I wanted to get the results, results, results. I was very results driven. And um, so I'll never forget the day that I got called into the, the the boardroom of our division CEO. And I looked around the room, and there were you know about twenty people, and they were the best and the brightest people in our division at all different levels. And I was sitting there wondering, what am I doing in this room with these people, right? (laughs) And they talked about a major reorganization that we as a division had to go through. We were literally going to break everything and then put everything back together again. And at the end of this process, we had some consultants who were brought in to help us figure this out. We didn't know how to. We didn't. We, we weren't thinking, that thinking component, about things the right way. They helped us shape our thinking so that we could take different actions to get us different results. We were charged with doubling our operating income one year after full implementation. And um, I got the fuzzy end of the lollipop because the, the group that I had to lead was around a culture change. So the culture in our organization at that point was was very much a star culture. We hired the best and the brightest. These were people who would go out and, I, I mean, the things they came up with individually were incredible, but yet they limited us. And so we, the culture change was from me to we. So going from the star culture to a team culture. And that's what I had to convince this whole organization to do. And I got to tell you, I hit a massive resistance because it was so different from what rewarded people in the past that I really had to work on the emotional things that they were clinging to and what they thought they were going to lose by making this change and show them that That was limiting them and all the things that they could gain if they made the change. We ended up making the change. We did not double earnings within one year after implementation. We actually tripled it. Mm -hmm. And when we did the post audit and went back and said, what caused this to happen, almost Everyone said, if we hadn't made that culture change, we could have never achieved what we just achieved. So as a result of this, I get this huge promotion, and I'm working for a woman who I absolutely loved. She and I were teammates on on a number of different projects over the years, corporate-wide projects. You know, I get a big office, I get the credenza and the sofa, and I get stock options and a huge compensation bump. I I literally moved from a manager to a leader kind of role in the organization. I had everything going for me. And yet one month after I'm in the job, I was absolutely miserable. Mm. And I, I, at that point, I didn't know why. And I reached over. I wasn't getting along with my boss, this woman who I had loved, you know. Yeah. And I picked up the phone and knew she wasn't going to be there because she had worldwide responsibilities and was always traveling. And the phone rings. She picks it up on the first ring. And I said, oh, hey, Ellen, Myron. She says, hey, this is incredible. I was just reaching for the phone to call you. <laughs> you know how that happens sometimes? Uh-huh.
0: Uh, I know.
1: <laughs> so I I said, hey, Ellen, we need to talk. And she said, yes, we need to talk. Please come down to my office, like, right now. And as I turned the corner to run into her office, because she was, a, you know, like, down the hall, I heard her come out. She couldn't see me, but I heard her talking to her EA, and she said, cancel all of my appointments this afternoon. There isn't anything more important that I need to do than to talk to Myron today. Now she didn't know I heard that, but I'm thinking to myself, whoa, <laughs> what's going on? So I walked in and she says, uh, you want to start or you would like me to start? And we're both <laughs> smiling at each other you know, to kind of hide the tension that was there. And I said, no, why don't you begin? And she said, okay. She said, how about some coaching? Now, I had never heard those words before, because up until then, I didn't need any coaching. I was knocking it out of the park every time up to the plate. Mm. And all of a sudden, somebody asked me if I need coaching. And I said, yeah, please. And she said, Myron, look, there are some things that are great and wonderful about everything, who you are and what you do. And there are some other things that you've learned over the years that if you continue those things, you will fail in this leadership job. Wow. Now, I never heard the word fail before. I never heard that I wasn't performing at the absolute highest standards. And she's telling me this. <laughs> and so I was shocked. I said, give me an example. She said, okay, responsiveness. She said, you made your whole career, your whole career about being responsive. We've given you objectives that nobody thought could get done, and somehow you figured it out. You either figured it out yourself or you figured it out with people. We don't know how the heck you, how the heck you did it, but it got done. And I said, well, thank you. And she said, Myron, if you continue that same level of responsiveness, you will fail in this job. And I was, like, astonished. I, I was, like, getting hit in the head with a shovel. It made no sense. See, what she was doing is I had a belief system about what it took to be successful, caused me to think about things. She was reshaping my thinking. And I didn't realize it at the time. And so I said, you know, Ellen, you got to tell me more about this. She said, I I just don't understand. She said, look, we're paying you now not to be responsive, but to teach other people how to be responsive. Um. And I was like, Oh, and she said, "Look, this is." She didn't use this example, but this is an example that came to me later that that clearly described what she was telling me. She said something like, "You know, you wait for rebounds, and what you do is there's somebody else taking the shot, and you're waiting under the basket, and if they miss, you're there to grab the ball and just slam it home to score." And I said, "Well, yeah, but that—that's what was expected." She said, "Yes, it was expected. It not—it's not—is expected." And I looked at her, and she said, "We're paying you to take the shot, not to get the rebounds. Not at this level." Interesting. And so she said, "You know, look, here's what we need you to do. At our at the management committee level, we." are focused on governing right now, you know, governing the organization. We're coming up with the overall big strategy of where we think we need to take this international division. And we're looking to people at your level to figure out how do we get there? What's the game plan for executing the strategy? And I'm going, oh, my God. I I mean, like nobody ever told me this. And she said, I know. That's why we're having this conversation. (laughs) He said, we're, we're paying you to do different things at this level. And so it really got me thinking about this, Malia. And and what I did was at, at that was a, a switch got flipped for me. What because, a gift. Yeah. I'm thinking, wait a minute. If I'm so successful and I got all of these promotions and, you know, we're hitting the results and I don't know this. Then. How many other people are out there that get promoted into a leadership job that don't know this either? I mean, this is the stuff that's not written in any textbook or you can't go to a a workshop or a seminar someplace and, and get this kind of, I mean, real life gut level kind of like thinking about what's really expected of you at that level. And so I realized right then, I still stayed with the company for, for a couple more years. But when they merged with Exxon shortly after that, I said, you know what? I, I got to get out. I got to do this work for the rest of my life. I, I have to I have to coach people. I have to work with organizations that are making massive change because I've been through this I, many, many, many times. And I know what they're going to encounter, but I also know how to get around it and over it. But I gotta teach this to other people. I have to become a teacher, a trusted advisor, a strategic partner with the people that I work with. I'm not interested in a gig. I don't care about you know, one coaching gig or you know, one workshop. I don't, I could care less about that. I'm trying to build that long lasting relationship where I can really help people over time. And that's what really drives me, Molly. That
0: was so powerful. It, it gets me thinking about all of us in leadership position, and especially with, and, and I can speak for entrepreneurs, you know, we are out there in the world trying to activate our dreams, making, motivating others, uh, motivating ourselves to, to continue that path. And I tell you, it makes a big difference when you have team members, because as I've grown, you know, I have team members now, and it's it's amazing how you've operated before has to shift when you have people around you still rooting for you still wanting you to be that visionary but saying to you also stop it let us yeah. in give us a chance you know move into that leadership position stop getting in the way <laughs> and it's yeah. and it's hard and sometimes it's harsh and it's it's much needed for growth, for growth as an individual person, but for growth in an organization and in the company. If we want our company, our organization, our teams to thrive, we got to get out of the way. We have to, you know, really understand our key strengths. And also, when our roles change, right? Um, just like you, you you are used to operating a certain way. You got this promotion. Um, you were expected to to operate differently but nobody ever told you that until you got this sit down with your mentor you know slash um, uh, boss and what a gift what a gift sometimes that gut-wrenching punch in the stomach is the biggest gift that we can have to evolve as human beings and as leaders now let me ask you this what key lessons specific lessons did you learn in your time as an executive throughout your career, that really helps to guide you now in your work with people and their teams, and leading them or helping them become better leaders.
1: Well, you know, uh, Molly, when I was working with Mobile Oil at at that time, we were the 11th largest company in the world, and we had the financial ability to bring in the best and the brightest leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, to help us, consultants to help us. So, um, you know, the Demings while he was alive, the uh, Duran's, I got to work with Dr. Duran, um, Tony Robbins. Tony hired me to work uh, one engagement with his his franchisees way back when. And uh, for that, I got comped into a number of his coaching programs uh, and other programs, uh, yeah, Peter Senji, Peter Covey. I mean, names that today might not mean anything to audiences, but at the time they were the thought leaders.
0: Right. They still mean a lot. Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And one of the things that I learned is that there are some universal principles that work when it comes to helping people and organizations make a change. Uh, because we're human beings. We, we've been around since the beginning of time. And uh, these things haven't changed. It, it's part of our dynamic, um, the way we work. As, as an example, anytime we're faced with change, whether it's change that that we impose on ourselves, so I want to lose weight, I want to stop smoking, I want to whatever, right? Or whether it's imposed on us by other people or the market, we have to blank we need to make this change as an organization, you know, and then fill in the blank. There's always this this moment, if it's self-imposed, you feel ecstatic about it. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. I can do, you're all pumped up, right? Mm-hmm. But that's usually followed by, oh, shoot, you mean I've got to do this and I have to do that and I, oh, my God, what's going to happen to us? And it's just a natural cycle and it's all emotional that we go through because See, our emotions, in many cases, help shape our thinking, which then shape our actions, which then shape our results. I mean, it, it, it's all the same kind of thing, Molly. It's the same cycle we've been talking about. And so understanding and allowing people to go through that, that emotional curve and then helping them out of it. But, but you, you can't help them through it. In other words, they have to go through it for themselves, But allowing them to go through it, let me me give you an example that that this might help a little bit. If someone that you face is having a challenge in business and or in their personal life, if you walk in and just give them your answers as to how to get out of that situation, that's your answer. But they may or they may not take it. Mm -hmm. They may or may not try it. But if you start asking them some questions and, and know where they're going and lead them to let them come up with their own answers. Now they own it. Right. And so when we're making organizational change, that's what we try to do with people. We try to give them what they need, show them the pain of staying where they are versus and and increasing that pain versus the pain it takes to make the change. Then we see them start to move. And um, so, here, here's an example. When we were going through that massive change I was telling you about as an organization, so I was running the financial services function globally for this division. I had people uh, all over the, the world uh, Singapore, Europe, et cetera, et cetera, US, obviously. And um, when they walked in my office to start talking about the change, I was really upset with them. Literally, I threw them out of my office. I said, don't you understand? I'm busy. I don't have time for this stuff. And, you know, you need to just tell me what you want me to do and then get the hell out of here so I can get to it. I got to get it done. Very results focused, right? Right. Now, now, now. Move very fast, right? That's where I was. And you know what they did? Instead of getting upset with me, they stood there and smiled at me. (laughs) They smiled. I'm going how are you smiling at? And they said, oh, nothing. And I said, what what are you doing? And they said, no, nothing, nothing. Um, We're about to leave, but here's something you may want to check out. And they pointed me toward a reference. That's all they did. They handed me a reference. And they walked out, and they were kind of chuckling outside my office as they walked away. They knew what I was going through because they had been through it. And they knew that I was going to come out of it, but I was going to have to come out of it my way, not a prescribed way, not because somebody commanded it and demanded it, but because it's a process, a human process that we all have to go through. The reference that they gave me opened doors and windows for me. It was I could hardly wait to get them back in my office, the consultants, to say, look, you got to tell me more about this. And they said, no, you're, you'll, you'll do the research and you have a small team of people and you, you'll be able to I said, but tell me, tell me what you know. <laughs> and they said, no, we don't want to influence your discussion, your decision. This is something that works different for every organization that's out there. you got to make it your own. And I'm going like, holy smokes. They were worth every penny we paid them because they helped us shape our thinking, which changed our actions, which changed our results, which then allowed us to believe about what we could accomplish that no one else had ever accomplished before.
0: Mm. Well, leading into the next question, it's, um, it's similar in, in what you were describing but we're going to go a little deeper here. How do you guide yourself and others from feeling alone in the world in those deep, dark moments, um, in the moments when, I know you like to reference this, and I'd love for you to explain this a little bit, in those those phases of life where they're in FUD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, how, how have you been able to guide yourself through that, and how are you helping others tap into that that higher power to walk through those dark, dark hours. I mean, some of these darkest hours are very personal and you still have to show up. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Well, it, it's kind of interesting for your audience. that's not familiar with it. The FUD is an acronym that stands for fear, fatigue, uncertainty, and doubt. So FFUD, fear, fatigue, uncertainty, and doubt. And this is another eye-opening moment for me. Um, working with mobile and one of my good friends walked in my office and said, I have a gift for you. And she had it wrapped. And I said, a gift? And she said, yeah, absolutely. I said, well, you know, it's, there's no occasion. She said, no, this is just, I want to help you. And I opened the book, or opened the, the gift. And in there, there were two books. One was a book that was called The Artist's Way. Mm, yes. And the book that was attached to it was a blank journal, and I went nuts. I threw her out of my office. I said, "You get out of here! I will never journal, never, never. It's a waste of time. I'm not into diaries. I'm into results." And pa 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 And you know, sure enough, she's sitting there smiling at me. I said, "No, I mean, get out of my office. Get out." You are no longer my friend. Get out of my office. And I threw that on the credenza behind me. Well, being a results-oriented kind of person, every day when I'd come in, I'd look at this this damn book, the artist's wife sitting on my my journal on my credenza. And finally, after about a month, I picked it up and I read the the introduction to it. And it, it asked you to use a journal to write three pages a day. And so in that that angry state. I said, all right, you want three pages? I'll give you three pages. I got the smallest kind of journal I could find, <laughs> the shortest, you know, <laughs> small, and the biggest pen. <laughs> and I would write my three pages a day. And I did that for about a week. And then I realized that, uh, this the, small journal wasn't going to be enough. And I went on and get bigger and bigger. And it became a, a practice that I follow even until today. Now, do I do it every day, every single day today? Today, no. But for a, about three or four years, I did. And I found that the guidance when you, when you rely on, when you're just open to, to hearing things from, you know, call it whatever you want to, um, higher level power, a universe, what, whatever. For me, it comes through pen to paper is the way it comes through for me. Mm -hmm. And it's not always written out in paragraphs. It's not always, you know, sometimes I'll draw, sometimes I'll outline. Sometimes it's paragraphs, Um, It's different things. And from there, it, it helps me, again, shape how I'm thinking about things. So I could take a different action. I could see things from a different perspective and move forward. So that became a very key tool for what I use when I'm working individually with clients, as well as when I'm working on large things for organizations or on some stuff going on in my personal life. And it, it just comes up. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting because this morning out of the blue, I had no thought about this, no thought about this. The opening sentence was, This will be a week full of prizes and surprises. (laughs) Then I got some insights about what I'm doing and what I'm bringing to the table for people that I just never had. I never had the thoughts before. Mm -hmm. See the thinking piece coming in? Mm -hmm. And what it turned out to be is that when I'm working with people, I want to know, think about this interview. Where have you been? Where are you now, and where are you headed? I mean, your, your interview, this podcast, is a perfect example of what I wrote this morning at 4.30. <laughs> and I'm wondering, like, why is this coming out now? And then I experienced this. I, I You know, it's just incredible, Molly. Wow.
0: Well, the honor is all mine. I love the way that you share your stories and your experiences. I think it's very powerful and it's very personal. I love that we're having the non-traditional, hey, Myron radio, what do you do and how do you help people? I just love having conversations like this where it brings in the full picture of what we do, meaningful work that we do. Um, that does drive results, that does change corporate cultures, that changes the human mind and and reconditioning and reprogramming the way that these thought leaders Um, really view the world. And it starts with us. And that's what I love talking about you because you're sharing about your personal lessons that have shaped you. Um, And so as we're kind of coming to the close of our interview, one thing that I would like to touch upon as you were sharing your stories is how do you help others find meaningful work? I mean, you shared kind of all the things that have had to happen in your life to kind of give you the aha uh-huh over and over again, where you finally said, do you know what, I got to do this for the rest of my life. This is the stuff that that makes me just vibrate at a whole different level here. How do you help other leaders really either you know, reinvest in what they're doing, reignite their passion for what they're doing, or shift and pivot altogether? What are some of the tools and processes that could help them really claim that this is what they're meant to do for the rest of their lives?
1: Well, you know, Molly, there's a lot of different processes and systems you can go through and a a lot of different books here. Here's what I found. And again, this came out this morning in in the journal Mm -hmm. uh, about the way to do this. That was the heading under this. And when, when you think about that, there's, you know, obviously a lot of people talk about a higher power. for some people, it's God. For some people, it's you. It's, you know, all this, this other stuff. But, but basically, they say you have a conscious mind, you have a subconscious mind, and then there's this superconscious mind, something that governs everything that you tap into. And one of the processes that a lot of people who are highly successful talk about is the I am statements. So by talking about who you are, you know, like, um, I am powerful beyond belief, some people might say. Now, you know, when they're saying that, sometimes it's like, who do you want to become? Mm -hmm. Powerful beyond belief. But just saying it in your conscious mind, it's like, are you kidding me? No, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) And it has a negative effect. But the one thing I, I got from, um, oh, God, I can't remember. Dr. Wayne Dreyer. Dr. Wayne Dreyer, yes.
0: It, mm-hmm.
1: right? Well, he talks about these using these I am statements right before you fall asleep at night, because that's when your conscious mind can give instructions to your subconscious mind to go search that universal mind to come back and give you the answers. And in there, he talks about saying the I am statement, you know. So I found that by doing that right before you go to bed uh, with what you either currently are, the I am, or what you're moving toward becoming. Mm. So I am becoming a powerful executive coach who has a dramatic impact on everybody I deal with. I'm making it up now, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you you come up with the I am statements, but here's the other thing. This is what, what led me to take it to the next level. I found that there are some people out there that have a very small view of who they are. And so for them using the I am statements, uh, they, it, it doesn't, it doesn't register. But in the work that I do, I do a lot of diagnostics, both individual diagnostics through personal assessments, as well as organizational diagnostics, team diagnostics, et cetera, et cetera. I find that in a coaching environment, if I can talk to people about you are and how I see them to be in their most powerful state, and if I can share with them what could get in their way, based on who they are, then they can become even bigger than they are right now. But here's the other thing that I found. When I'm working with teams, if I talk about you are and what you're able to accomplish and where you could be headed, it makes a dramatic difference, Molly. So that's the, the I, I'm hoping you're, the folks listening could could put this together in a way that makes sense for them to, to to talk about not only the kind of things that you want, but who are you becoming over time? Who do you want to be? Thank what you. do you want to achieve? Why is it important to you? Really cool stuff.
0: Yeah. Like I said, I love talking to you. I want to, I want to highlight one fun thing about you and there's lots of fun things, but for the purpose of this is, you know, I mentioned very briefly when I made the introduction that you're a four time author. Can you just share with our audience what you love to write about? I mean, this is the stuff that really just makes you happy. Um, what kinds of things do you like to write and share about with the world?
1: So I've written a couple of books with other people um, and it's all been around change and uh, leadership and teams. And one day I, I woke up in the middle of the night about three o'clock in the morning and I had this recurring dream and I went downstairs and cause I realized whenever the, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and this stuff goes starts going through your head unless you capture it with pen on paper, you're never going to be able to go back to sleep. So I said, I'm going to go down there for five minutes, write this thing down. I don't know why it keeps happening. And I, I see this, these two young teenagers running away from bad guys. And it's, it's the scene. is like a movie set in the 1800s in, in Eastern Europe of all places. And, I see them crawling down in this basement and running into a corner, a, a dirt corner, and they, they feel a, a wood on a wall. It's dark, so they can't see, and they, they feel it, and they use their last light to look at it, and it says, beware, be aware. When you cross through this portal, your life will be transformed. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like, Well, where is this coming from, right? So I got up, and I wrote this down, and I start writing, and the next thing I know, my wife comes down. Now, this is, remember, 3 o'clock in the morning. My wife comes down, and I hear her say, would you like some lunch? And I said, what are you talking about? (laughs) She says, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You haven't been eating. You've been hunkered over this fresh journal. Oh, yeah, and when I pulled the journal out, it said – One night, a man dreamt that was on the cover (laughs) of a journal I pulled out. So I go through this thing and I'm writing this stuff down for my own benefit. And I realized, you know, this could be a book, you know, a a novel, right? And it was about teams and organizations and a master Cervante and, you know, the different kinds of geniuses that, that make people special. So, I I started to pursue turning it into a book and then I got really busy with business and um, put it aside for a number of years. And my sister was out in Omaha visiting a friend for the first time and they had nothing to do one day. And so they on a lark they went to a a psychic and they pull up to the psychic's door. The psychic opens the door and she walks right past my sister's friend and looks at my sister and says, "Okay, they want to know why did your brother stop writing his book? Ooh. And my sister goes, what are you talking about? She said, I don't know. You will know, but I, I'm being asked, why did your brother stop writing his book?" And my sister never answered, but she called me the minute it was over. So I got back to trying to publish this. And again, I got really busy after a couple of years and put it aside My other sister goes to a Reiki specialist who happens to be a psychic, and she's talking about a lot of different things, and all of a sudden she's working on my sister, and she goes, hmm, is your brother writing a book? (laughs) My sister says, yeah, he's written a couple of them. And so she said, "Um, well – they want to know, why did he stop getting up in the middle of the night when they had ideas for him? And why did he stop writing his book? So she gets out of there and calls me and says, get the damn book finished. Oh, my. And so this this whole book, it was never planned to be a book. I had no outline for it. I didn't know what the themes were, what the climax was going to be, when the book was going to be over. The minute I thought it was over, it it just went on and on. And. And it's called Dream Makers: Escape from the Shadows of Fear. So, if any of your folks would like to read that book, it's on Amazon, obviously, and and uh, they could get it there. And uh, for the least listening pleasure. So, I, I I gave it to a colleague of mine, a leader, and he you know he didn't read it right, and mm-hmm. he said. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not interested in novels, right? And and then he and his wife went on vacation, and he sat on a beach, and she got very upset with him. She said, "Will you put that damn book down? You're not talking." <laughs> he goes, "Oh man, this thing's all about leadership. This is all about teams. This isn't this is important stuff." <laughs> so anyway, That's I share that you. with you because uh, it might be something interesting for your listeners to do.
0: Well, and I think it also helps that it's um, a little bit different from your typical leadership book. You know, there's 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 twists and turns, and it's really nice to have a different kind of experience when you're looking for leadership um, support and development. And this is a fun way to do it. So that's why I wanted you to mention it because there's many ways to reach your leadership potential, and Dreammakers in terms of reading material can be one of those many different ways. So thank you so much again. Myron, for your time. I always love spending time with you. I'm so grateful that, um, you know, I know you and that we've been connected for many years now and you're uh, what I would consider to be a dear friend. Thank you for your contributions to the world and in the world of leadership, especially.
1: Well, Molly, you know, I have to thank you as well for starting this whole SOAR network. And th- let me explain why for a second. Th- this is from me now, my perspective. You attract a lot of different people to you, many of which are practitioners, and and your practitioners have expertise in a variety of different areas. So like as an example, if somebody's starting a business and and they really need to build up their social media presence, well, I mean, you have a company that can do that. And obviously your husband, Victor, is, is outstanding with anything that's technical. But if your people need an executive coach, there are a lot of different executive coaches. I happen to be one that's focused on business. I don't get involved in life coaching. However, you have a ton of people in your network who are also business coaches, who are also life coaches. And so the thing that I love about the SOAR network and and why I'm so proud to be a part of this, Molly, is that it's a place for leaders to go. To meet other people who are leaders, but also might help them along their journey in life. And and what I mean by that is that at a leadership level, you're really alone. You don't have anybody to talk to. That's why executive coaching has taken off so much in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. It gives people a sounding board. It, It gives somebody that they can kick ideas around with. Well, the same thing with personal coaching. It's somebody who can help you through anything you're facing in life. And so the neat part about the people in your network is they just want to help other people. So they're going to want to know your story. Where have you been? Kind of like this (laughs) podcast. Where have you been? Where are you now? Where are you headed? But there's another question. How can I help you is what the people in the SOAR network will ask. And if they find that they can't help you, then there's a whole network of people they can refer you to that might be able to help you. Mm. So God bless you for starting this thing, Molly. You're, 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 you're doing some fantastic work.
0: Oh, Myron, thank you so much. You know, I feel personally very, very blessed that the folks in our network have showed up. And uh, were sent to me, or or found me some somehow, some way, and not just me, but now my team and also the entire network. I mean, the word uh, community is so critical to our success, and that's why SOAR Community Network um, is it's a long name and. I'm not willing to take out community or network, so it will be what it is. Uh, we just go with SEN for short, but SOAR Community Network is honored to have all these amazing practitioners and leaders and people who really do want to serve, uh, give their gifts and talents, share it with the world, and um, run businesses doing it, but also they, they live it even if they're not being paid you know, even if they're not in in working on a gig or being on a project, this is who they are in the world. And these are the people we attract and want to attract more of. So thank you for being a part of our community and for always wanting to help and support um, not only me and our team, but our clients and those that we are communicating with as well. Thank you, Myron. You are truly a gift. Really, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you.
1: Thank you, my friend.
0: Thank you. Well, again, everyone, it's a love fest here always at the SOAR Community Network. I really appreciate you, as always, for tuning in to this episode. And we will surely bring you some more great content here at the SOAR Community Network Podcast. Thank you so much for your listening. And we will talk to you very, very soon. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of SOAR Podcasts. Join us by visiting soarcommunitynetwork.com.